Revelation 12. A great and wondrous sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet and a crown of twelve stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on its heads. His tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that he might devour her child the moment it was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who would rule all the nations with an iron sceptre, and her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. The woman fled into the desert to a place prepared for her by God, where she might be taken care of for 1,260 days. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth, and his angels with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation, and the power, and the kingdom of our God, and the authority of, his, of this Christ. For the accuser of our brothers, who accuses them before our God day and night, has been hurled down. They overcame him with, by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury, because he knows that this time is short. When the dragon saw that he had been hurled to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. The woman was given the two wings of a great eagle so that she might fly to the place prepared for her in the desert where she would be taken care of for a time. Times and a half time out of the serpent's reach. Then from his mouth the serpent spewed water like a river to overtake the woman and to sweep her away with the torrent. But the earth helped the woman by opening its mouth and swallowing the river that the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. Then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to make war against the rest of her offspring, those who obey God's commandments and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And the dragon stood on the shore of the sea. And I saw a beast come out of the sea. He had ten horns and seven heads with the ten crowns on his horns and on each head a blasphemous name. The beast I saw resembled a leopard but had feet like those of a bear and a mouth like that of a lion. The dragon gave the beast his power and his throne and great authority. One of the heads of the beast seemed to have had a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed. The whole world was astonished and followed the beast. Men worshipped the dragon because he had given authority to the beast, and they also worshipped the beast and asked, Who is like the beast? Who can make war against him? The beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies, and to exercise his authority for 42 months. He opened his mouth to blaspheme God and to slander his name and his dwelling place and those who live in heaven. He was given power to make war against the saints and to conquer them, and he was given authority over every tribe, people, language and nation. All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast, all whose names have not been written in the book of life belonging to the Lamb that was slain from the creation of the world. Who you has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to go into captivity, into captivity he will go. 
If anyone is to be killed with the sword, with the sword he will be killed. This calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of the saints. Then I saw another beast coming out of the earth. He had two horns like a lamb, but he spoke like a dragon. He exercised all authority of the first beast on his behalf and made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast, whose fatal wound had been healed. And he performed great and miraculous signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to earth in full view of men. Because of the signs he was given power to do on behalf of the first beast. He deceived the inhabitants of the earth. He ordered them to set up an image in honour of the beast who was wound by the sword and yet wounded by the sword and yet lived. He was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast, so that it could speak and cause all cause all who refused to worship the image to be killed. He also forced everyone, great and small, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on his right hand or on his forehead so that no one could buy or sell unless he had the mark which is the name of the beast or the number of his name. This calls for wisdom. If anyone has insight, let him calculate the number of the beast for it is man's number. His number is 666. Thanks, Steve. Uh, keep your Bibles open. Uh, there's a huge chunk of text that we're dealing with this morning. Uh, I'm not going to be able to refer to everything as we go through it, so you'll be well served if you can have your Bible in front of you. Uh, and follow along as we work our way through these chapters. Uh, they're full of hard things, um, strange uh, and difficult images, and so you'll be uh, helped if you can follow along uh, and keep up with where we're at. Let me pray and then we'll jump into it. Heavenly Father, uh, your word sometimes uh, has difficult things for us. It has pictures that we find hard to understand. It has uh, descriptions of the end times that are challenging and confronting uh, and hard for us to read. And so we pray especially for your blessing this morning uh, as we read these words. Father, may your spirit work powerfully amongst us and in us, uh, opening our eyes and our hearts to see what it is you are teaching us uh, and saying to us. Father, help us to understand the images uh, and help us to understand what your word to us is and how you would have us live in these end times. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, I don't know if you're aware of this, but you and I, uh, we live in a war zone. Uh, we live in the midst of a battlefield and there is pressure on each of us, immense pressure even, to take a side in this fight. Uh, the battle lines are drawn. It is Woolies versus Coles and you have to choose where you will be. Are you going to be a fresh food person or are you going to be a down-down person? That is quite a terrible slogan when you hear it like that. Are you going to collect stickies or are you going to collect Disney words or are you going to somehow try to play both sides for the sake of your kids? Or are you going to be pretending to be above this battle, uh, shopping at Hill Street, <laughs> snobbing it, looking down on the rest of the plebs? Uh, maybe that battle's not you. Maybe you're caught up in the Holden versus Ford battle. Uh, maybe you're caught up in Bogues versus Cascade. 
Uh, maybe you fight in Apple versus Samsung. And of course we could go on. Uh, there's plenty of other battles that rage all around us. Uh, fighting to win us over. They, they, they have their prophets, they have their propaganda, they have their strategies and their battle plan and they are fighting for you. They're fighting for your allegiance, they're fighting for your loyalty, not just your money but for your brand loyalty, that you will be their consumer and known by their brand. Who will win you over in this fight? Well, Revelation tells us there is a similar war that is raging all around us. Uh, It's not a material war, it is a spiritual war. The stakes are high in this war. There is real violence employed by one side. There are real consequences, uh, eternal consequences even, at stake in this fight. There is propaganda and prophets and strategies on either side and both sides are warring for the same thing. They are warring for your allegiance, for your worship and for your soul. Now I think if we're honest we'll find that both Coles and Woolies are much of a muchness. But in this battle that Revelation describes these two powers are not equal in any way. (laughs) They couldn't be more unequal Uh, In fact, we're told here that this war has been decided years ago, even though the fighting continues around us today. One side in this war has won already. They've been shown powerful and triumphant, even though their followers are oppressed. One side has already lost. They've been shown to be defeated, even though today they look the stronger and the more violent. Where does this war rage? What is our part in it? Well, that's what we're going to see today as we open up these chapters in the book of Revelation, as we work our way through them. Now, these these are hard passages, these are strange passages and they are full of lots of unusual details. But what we have to remember is when we come to these, uh, these, these verses, the perspective that they have on this world See, what we have before us in these verses is a zoomed out view of history. We are standing right back and we are looking at the whole of history. We're looking at the whole of salvation history in particular and as we take that step back, as we zoom right out, three prominent characters come into view, the three characters of chapter 12, the dragon, the woman and the lamb. Uh, As Jeff mentioned earlier, the woman is God's people, but it's not just God's New Testament people. This is God's people through all of time. Uh, We see that because from this woman, from these people, comes the child, this child who will hold the iron scepter, uh, who will rule and will be brought up to heaven and who will reign, Uh, the child who is Jesus, clearly. The dragon stands in opposition uh, to the woman. He is the devil. Uh, We're told he's very powerful. He has seven heads. But what's more, he also has authority. He has uh, ten horns and on those ten horns, seven crowns. We're also told that he's effective. He's not powerless. He's able to sweep the stars from heaven, that is, attack and even affect God's people. And we see how much he hates the child. We we have this disgusting image that is painted for us of the woman uh, in the very throes of childbirth and the dragon standing before her, drooling, waiting for the child to come forth so immediately he can eat it and destroy it. But of course his plans are foiled. Uh, Jesus is born, he is protected. Uh, We skip over all of Jesus' life and go straight to his resurrection and ascension and see him caught up to heaven 
by God himself so that he is raised and rules even now as the living king. In scene. Scene 2, verse 7. The same events but from a different perspective. Now we look at this war from the point of view of heaven and we see the war continues. Uh, Michael and his angels, they do battle and they fight against the devil and his angels, his followers. They fight them, they overcome them and the devil and his followers are cast out of heaven uh, and thrown down to the earth, defeated completely. Uh, how are they defeated? How can, how can Michael and his angels defeat the devil and his angels? Well, we're told in the song that's sung there in verses uh, 10 following. They, def- they, they, they win by the blood of the Lamb. They win not because of their own power but because of what Jesus has done. His death, his resurrection are the means by which the devil is defeated and cast out of heaven. Uh, sin and, and death, its penalty, the, the greatest weapons of the devil are decisively overcome by Jesus. Uh, he broke them. The one who died for sin, who came to life, defeated them completely. It used to be that the devil would accuse God's people but now his accusations are empty because God has already punished sin in Jesus. God has already forgiven justly sin in Jesus. And so the devil's words against anyone are empty now. And this great victory that Jesus has won, Michael enforces in heaven. Uh, He enacts what Jesus has done and he casts the devil down to earth by the blood of the Lamb by the triumph of Jesus. End scene. Scene 3 starts in verse 13. Uh, And here we pick up the results of this fighting that we've seen. Uh, Like a snake will thrash after its head has been cut off, so we see the devil thrashing here even after his defeat has been sealed. Uh, He fights on and because his time is short, because his time is limited, his fury in these verses is terrible. Uh, He can't attack the child, his chief enemy, Jesus, and so instead he fights against the woman. He fights against Jesus' people, the church. We're told he tries to overtake her, he pursues them, he tries to defeat her, but his plans are foiled. And so in his rage he goes off to do violence against her until the end comes. Uh, As you Many of you are aware, uh, I like fishing, which is why I'm a bit sunburnt today uh, from fishing yesterday. Uh, But one of the fish I love catching in particular is flathead. Uh, I love catching them, I love eating them. They are delicious, best fish in the sea, if you ask me. But I don't like cleaning them. Uh, It's not my favourite job. Because flathead have a knack of when you pick them up, when you start filleting them, they just give one last kick or one last wriggle, uh, one last twitch. Uh, that in itself is not an issue, but the, thing is, the issue is uh, flathead have a large spike on the side of their head. Uh, the spike is pretty bad in itself, but what's worse is it has a kind of poison on it. And if you get spiked by a flathead, it's not going to kill you, uh, but it will hurt. Uh, it actually hurts quite badly for a number of hours. So even, even though the flathead is well beaten, uh, it is in your bucket, destined for your stomach, it probably has its, your knife through its head, it will still give that last twitch. It will still... Try to get that last shot in. Even though it's dying, it just wants to sting you once and let you know all about it. And Revelation 12 tells us that is the devil today. He is defeated. He has the knife through his head 
but he just wants to get one last shot in. He is frustrated, he is enraged, he has been defeated and cast down, his power has even been limited but he just has to get that last shot in against the church. Why do you need to know that? You need to know it because it tells us why, uh, why the Christian life will be tough. Why it is hard to be a Christian in this world. It is hard not just because our world is broken, it is hard because we have powerful opposition who hates us. We have a powerful enemy. We are in a war against him. A war not because the devil is so powerful, but a war because the devil is so defeated, because he's been so overcome and because now he's taking out his frustrations on us. Uh, Paul told us in Ephesians chapter 6, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. We are in a spiritual fight and we've got to remember that. If, we fight, uh, if our fight was against flesh and blood, we would fight with the weapons and the strategies of flesh and blood, but it's not. Our fight is spiritual and we must remember that and fight accordingly. Though our enemy is fierce, we fight confidently, not in our own strength, but in the strength of Jesus. Remember what we're told there in verse 11. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. See, we win this fight in Jesus. Not by mustering our own strength, not by thinking up the best strategies and plans of attack. We fight, we win in him. Simply by putting our trust in him who has won already. His victory is ours. His blood is is our rescue. Even if the devil will kill our bodies, we still overcome in him because Jesus lives. But we're not alone in this this fight. We have this this picture of the woman being snatched up and taken away to the wilderness. Uh, God has rescued his people and taken them away. Uh, It's a picture of what God did in the Exodus. Uh, He's saying... To us, God has done the same for his church today. He has rescued his people out of the place of oppression, away from the oppressor and now we're waiting. We've been taken out of that place and we're waiting the next. We are looking forwards to the promised land, the city that is to come. We're being told we're in the wilderness. Yes, it is a place of testing. Yes, it is a place of refining. But it is also a place of God's provision, of God's care. It is the place where God promises to be with us and keep us until he takes us to the promised land. God will protect us in this fight. Now, chapter 12 tells us what the fight, uh, that we are in a fight. Chapter 13 tells us how the fight comes to us uh, and who brings it against us. And we see there that the devil acts against the church, against the world, by his agents. These horrific beasts that are portrayed to us. Uh, Look at verses 2 and 8 and you'll see at 2 through to 8 of chapter 13 and you'll see beast number 1. It is this grotesque picture of uh, a leopard and a bear and a lion being mashed together somehow. Uh, It's it's all the, 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 the beasts that Daniel saw in his book 
uh, John sees now pushed together in this one beast. Uh, it's a sign of, of a being who is very powerful, very uh, violent and very authoritative. We're told that one of his hands uh, seemed to have a fatal wound. It appeared to have been killed uh, and yet it, was, it recovered to the marvel of the world. Uh, beast 2, who's described in verses 11 through 18, uh, is similar to the first beast but is different as well. Uh, we're told the first beast uh, has authority over nations. He, he rules uh, great peoples. We're told the second beast is a speaker. Uh, he, he speaks. Uh, fire pro- proceeds from him. He has great signs. He misleads. He points to the dragon and tries to persuade people to follow the dragon. What's more, he marks humanity and by that mark enforces the worship of the beast on the penalty of death. Now these beasts are less literal beings, they're more of a description uh, of how the devil works. We shouldn't expect to see these creatures any time. This is a description of, of what the devil does and how he works in the world. And we're told right at the end there of chapter 13, these three beasts are numbered and their number is 666. Again, not a literal number. Uh, We shouldn't somehow have a phobia of that number. We shouldn't uh, expect to see it emerge at some point in history as the literal mark of the beast. Uh, When MasterCard brought their new logo out in the 90s and it looked like 666, that was just a figment of people's imagination. What we're told is, use wisdom to understand these words. Use wisdom to understand this number. And when we do that, it becomes clear. What we've seen in Revelation, what we see throughout the Bible is that the number seven uh, means fullness, it means perfection and therefore the number seven is used as a number of God uh, to describe him or to symbolise him. And so what six represents then is falling short, is missing the mark, is not getting to perfection uh, and as with, with most things, three is uh, completeness and so three sixes means falling short completely. It means, uh, as strange as it is to say, perfect imperfection or complete, utter imperfection. That's what this number indicates. That is the description of the beast, of the dragon. And it's actually key to understanding this beast. It's key to understanding uh, this dragon uh, because it's telling us, compare them to God. Compare them to God and you'll see them for who they really are. God is complete perfection The devil and his workers, they are perfect imperfection, complete imperfection. Uh, When you put them next to each other, there's similarities there. I don't know if you saw that in the description of the dragon and of the beasts. There's there's similarities. They're like, but they're not the same. Consistently the beast, consistently the dragon. They're, They're smaller, they're weaker, they're flawed. What we're being told is they're nothing more than a cheap imitation. They are a counterfeit version. God is the original, the devil is a rip-off. Uh, a few years back we went to Melbourne to uh, see an exhibition at the art gallery. Um, not something we actually do very often, it just happened to be that way this time, uh, because there was an exhibition of Monet, famous painter, if, in, if you don't know the name, uh, you'll probably know some of his paintings. They're, they're quite exceptional. Now one of the most famous of his paintings, uh, Poppy Fields in Field. Uh, in a place I can't pronounce, uh, 
It was there. And it's a beautiful painting. It's an absolute masterpiece. It's very famous, rightly so, and I quite like it. Like, I would have this painting in my house. I can't say that about a lot of paintings, but I would have this one in my house. But, of course, I never will uh, because there's only one of it and lots of other people like it too. Uh, The other problem is it's worth millions of dollars, which is millions more than I have. But did you know, I can have it in my house. I can actually put it on my wall even because all I have to do is buy the paint-by-numbers kit of poppy fields in a place I can't pronounce. It only costs $45. Like, it's a bargain. I can do it, DIY it. Uh, It's foolproof and you can come and admire it any time you like. Uh, Of course, it's not going to quite look the same. I'm colour blind, so there might be some small differences. (laughs) That could be an issue. Uh, Sadly, it won't be as big. The original is huge. The the paint-by-numbers kit is only like 50 centimetres or so. Uh, And sadly, it will never be worth millions because Monet is Monet and I am me. Uh, and everyone knows the difference. (laughs) See, at the end of the day, the imitation, no matter how good it is, is never as good as the original, isn't it? And that's what we're being told here. There are great powers, there are terrible beasts being put before us with incredible abilities, but they are nothing on the original. They are simply a cheap fake, a counterfeit that is nothing compared to the original. The devil counterfeits God. He tries to create like God. He tries to exercise power and authority like God. He tries to rule the world like God. But he is just an imitation. He always falls short. He always falls short. Beast 1 is a a chief imitation of Jesus, uh, wounded but healed like Jesus was. He carries a new name like Jesus does. He's given authority. He's followed and adored. He is a rip-off of Jesus and nothing more. Beast 2 is an imitation of the Spirit. He he speaks like the Spirit. He points to the first uh, member of this this unholy trinity like the Spirit. He has authority. He can give breath to things like the Spirit, but he is a fake. And he is nothing like the original. And together these three terrible beasts are simply a counterfeit trinity. They are like but they fall so far short. 666 truly is their number, completely falling short. In fact, we're even told that their authority, their ability is not their own. Uh, Time and time again we're told it's been given to them Uh, and given not by the devil but given by God. See, God is the one who's allowing them to do this work. God is the one permitting them. They are on God's leash. As terrible as they are, they are under his thumb. As awful as they appear, their whole existence, all their power is a lie. And we have to see that. That is so important for us to see because it makes us wise to their schemes. It teaches us how they work. They want to imitate God. They want to stand in his place. They want to take what is rightfully his, the worship that is due his name. And they will do that by raw and violent power but they will also do it by subtle and deceptive lies. There is a war for the souls of humanity. They are fighting by whatever means they can and we are in the midst of that conflict. And so we need to be discerning. Uh, 2 Corinthians 11 tells us that the devil masquerades as an angel of light and that his servants masquerade as servants of righteousness. See, they look the real deal. They have amazing abilities. They sound the real deal. 
And so we need to be careful. We need to be discerning. What are they after? They're after followers. They want to make worshippers. They want to steal the praise that only God deserves. They want to take it for their own. And they will go so far as to threaten death unless worshipped. Sometimes literally, but more often subtly. And we hear, we hear their lies all around us. They tell us, you won't really live unless you have or do X, Y or Z. They'll say, you know, your life is less if you haven't. They'll say, you don't have your best life now, but you could if only you did this. And the, the biggest one of these, the biggest lie going around at the moment is all about sex. If you don't have a satisfying or fulfilling sex life, we're told, you have missed out. You really haven't lived. Your life is second rate. You have lost. And so, pursue it. Well, whatever means necessary. If you haven't lived until your, your sex life is good, then go out and make it so. And then you'll have truly lived. But of course, there's other lies as well. Uh, you must have a life partner. But singleness is second rate. You must travel the world because it's only experience that makes your life rich and real. You must own your own home. After all, it's the Australian dream. Why not own two while you're at it? Then you'll truly live. And they are all lies. They are lies and they are fighting for your worship. They are telling you, tempting you to live instead of for God, for material things. They promise real life but they lead to death. Uh, Tim Chester puts it this way, through a thousand adverts and glossy magazines, the beast says, all this could be yours if you bow before me. The work of the beast is to lie to humanity, to mislead humanity, to teach us to worship things other than God and in the end to kill us. And so that calls for our discernment. Because the only way you can tell a lie is by knowing the truth well. The only way you can recognise a lie is become so intimately acquainted with the truth that it just sticks out, it just doesn't fit and that is what we need to do. We need to get rich in the truth and we need to surround ourselves with people of the truth to help us in that. We need to be deep in the word. We need to be strong in prayer. We need to be close in our church community because if you try to go this alone, you will sink. You cannot do it by yourself. It is a sure way to fail. We need each other. We need each other to be a community of word and prayer for each other in order that we can truly per persevere and endure and remain faithful against the power of the beast as they exercise it in this world. Against the violence of the dragon we need to endure. Against the lies of the beast we need faithfulness. Don't compromise, don't believe the lie but trust God and endure. Endure because every lie gets found out in the end. And that's what John sees in chapter 14. In chapter 14, the end comes, the great reckoning of mankind is made and everyone is seen as they really are. God's people are seen as they truly are. Victorious, this, this multitude gathered, glorified, marked by his name, 
the 144,000, that is the full number, the, the number that no one can count of God's people gathered before his throne crying out and then their voice, it's like roaring waters, it's like thunder. I mean, stand next to the MCG on grand final day, hear that roar and then multiply it a thousand times. That is the sound of heaven as this multitude sing a new song that has been given them by Jesus and as they celebrate his victory. Uh, they're described strangely, they're described as those who did not defile themselves with women. Uh, the word is literally the virgin. Um, it's not talking about a physical nor sexual reality, it's talking about a spiritual truth. John is simply saying they kept pure. They uh, were unsullied. They were never seduced by the lies of the beast. They stayed faithful to Jesus and thus stand with him in glory forever. The church is shown for what they are, but so is the world. The three angels declare what is to come. The first uh, brings good news, not the good news, but a message of good news. Fear God, give him glory. He is powerful. Do it before it's too late because the hour is near. The second angel brings judgment. All who oppose God, represented by Babylon, will fall and their deeds will come upon them in full force. The third angel brings warning. This is where following the beast leads. He will drink the wine of God's fury, which has been full, poured full strength into the cup of his wrath. Uh, it is a dark warning. It is very heavy. We're talking about the wrath of God, the full anger and fury of God being unleashed here. It ends in torment, eternal torment. Those who follow will be without rest forever. This is the end of those who don't follow the Lamb, who don't trust in him. Uh, at the end day, when this reckoning is made, there's not three classes of people in the world. It's not as if humanity is divided into the, the good, the bad and just the neutral. In the end day, there are only two. There are Jesus followers and there is everyone else. That is the reckoning. That is what will stand on the last day. Uh, that feels harsh, but we need to remember just how holy and pure our God is, com especially compared to the grotesque beasts we've seen. Uh, we need to remember just uh, that sin is rebellion against his perfect rule, that it is a rejection of his perfect ways. We need to remember that he is perfectly loving and generous and merciful and yet completely scorned by humanity. And we need to remember that the only way to be part of his people, to stand on this day right with him, is to repent of following the beast and their lies, is to trust and follow him at Jesus and receive his mercy and forgiveness. There is no other way to escape that wrath. It is a shocking picture. I mean, if you read that, it is a terrible picture and it should shock you. It should confront you. That's, that's what it's there for. Reading of this wrath to come is a terrible thing. Now, one day we'll see as God sees. Uh, on that day we will know just how just, just how righteous and just how merciful God is. Even those who receive his wrath on that day will only be able to acknowledge that he has done what is right. But that day is not yet. Now we heed that warning. 
we see that that terrible wrath is coming. We follow the Lamb and we warn the lost because the harvest described here is imminent. Uh, It it seems like there's two harvests. They're both describing the same event. Uh, The sickle is swung over the earth and all are taken uh, up. God's people are taken to his reward, to their eternal rest and blessing and sinners are taken to their punishment, eternal wrath and terror. One day at the end each of us will be shown for who we are and for where we're going. It's hard now to tell that. We, we can only make educated guesses. But on that day it's going to be very clear. Some are going to victory. The rest are going to wrath. Revelation 14 is promising that a day is coming when Jesus' victory will be revealed. His people will be shown victorious in him. Those who now are beaten down, oppressed, persecuted, so weak appearing. On that day will stand triumphant, pure and glorified and all else will be seen for what they are, followers of the beast. They will see their mistake, they will see his defeat despite his apparent power now and they will share it forever. And we need to endure till that day. It will be hard. We have an enemy who hates us, who fights against us But rest is coming. Until that day we obey, we stay faithful to Jesus' words, especially to his command to take the good news to the nations. So we have to remember that. There is is no neutral ground in this fight. There is no throwing up your hands and saying, "I'm, I'm not part of this. All of us are on one side or the other. All of us are destined to only one of two places, eternal glory or eternal torment. And for those of us who have followed Jesus, who have given our lives to him, then the warnings of the angels are ours. The hour is near. We can't just witness, we we, we can't just leave an example. We ought to do that, but we ought to do so much more. We must warn the world. We must warn those who are destined for wrath. We must tell them, fear God, not the beast. Follow the lamb, not the dragon. Don't believe the lie but follow Jesus who has already won and escape the wrath that is coming on this world. Until then, fight the good fight. Follow the lamb, endure the devil, warn the lost and trust God because the end is coming and his victory is complete. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, they will rest from from their labour for their deeds will follow them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your promise that rest is coming. Father, it is such an assurance to know that despite the fight that we are in, the difficulty of living for you, the suffering and persecution we've faced, there is rest one day and every day after that. Father, we know that because Jesus has won. The lamb is triumphant and by faith we share in his victory. Father, we long for that day, that day when we will see him coming in glory and we pray that when that harvest comes, many will be raised in Jesus. Many will be shown to have followed him and given their lives to him. Father, for our loved ones, for those 
we know who don't yet follow him. Help us to speak the good news to them. Help us to warn them of what is coming. Open their ears to hear it, that they can be saved. They can be added to this multitude who will praise you forever. Father, we know that you are a God of mercy. You don't want to see people die and end this way. And so by your mercy we pray, please rescue many. Father, use us in that we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to respond uh, by singing singing of the victory that we have in Christ, singing uh, of the truth that we overcome in him and in him alone. We're going to stand and sing more than conquerors.